Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapters um, 11, uh, verses 25 to 30. In a way, it's a, it's a Trinitarian gospel, but it doesn't in, in Matthew's gospel. Usually the Trinitarian formulae we see most clearly in John's gospel, but we find it now kind of obscurely but very present in this gospel. And it starts out with Jesus exclaimed, I bless you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for hiding these things from the learned and the clever and revealing them to the mere children. And so he begins, now this is, this is uh, after he, his missionary discourse to the Twelve in Matthew's Gospel. And he's, in a way, he's kind of explaining them the dynamic of evangelization, which I think is kind of interesting. And he blesses his Father because everything that he has, we know he has from the Father, everything he says, he says of the Father. And so it is now right at this particular period, and, and we, we certainly will, will find the Spirit enter into this, but right now it's a dynamic between the Father and the Son, which is reflected and revealed now into the ordinary lives of ordinary people. And he says, because um, for hiding these things from the learned and the clever, it is here then that he begins to become very dismissive of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. For they were the learned and the clever. They were the lawyers. They were the ones schooled in the law. They were the ones, however, also, who had kind of hijacked the covenant from a deep and interpersonal relationship between God and his people. And they have stepped in between that, actually, not as mediators as the priests of the new covenant are, but as those who rule over them, as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes did, and who gather to themselves and consider in a way um, the knowledge that they have as, not, as that which is not available to the ordinary person. So there is a bit of what we call here Gnosticism. And uh, Gnosticism, it comes from the Greek word to know, knowledge, and it refers basically to the secret knowledge, like I know I somehow or other I am illuminated and you are not. Therefore, listen to me, for I am the proper channel of wisdom and knowledge and truth. Not so, and uh, because that's not how God works. God works in relationship to all of his people, not just to the select few. I know that a lot of times when you run into highly educated persons, and somehow or other they feel if you don't know what they know, then you can't really grasp the truth or the reality of the faith. We find that a lot, you know, of people saying along the lines, well, you know, if you don't know Hebrew, how can you possibly get the Old Testament? Well, people got the old, have gotten the Old Testament for a couple thousand years, and the majority of them don't know Hebrew, um, or Greek or Latin, actually. And, uh, and yet, at the same time, the Word of God comes through, through the dynamic of Christ's interpersonal relationship with his people. So here, Jesus is kind of moving aside the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth, 
and says, this is not the one whom the Lord, the Father of heaven and earth, has revealed himself to. There is not, it is not that knowledge and learning is, is illegitimate or irrelevant. Certainly, the great revival in scripture studies with all of the pitfalls that have come along with it um, has also deepened our understanding of the role that the Old Testament plays and the New Testament plays in our lives. It has helped us to see more deeply that the prophets, as Jesus explained to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that the Old Testament, he called them the scriptures, the law and the prophets, have revealed all sorts of things about him. And authentic scripture scholarship helps us to see that more clearly in the Old Testament. But it doesn't mean that we cannot grasp the promise of Israel. It doesn't mean that we can't see in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of that promise and therefore the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It doesn't mean that we cannot come to understand that Jesus is one with the Father and that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. None of that takes deep scholarship and none of that takes years of linguistic studies. That simply takes an open heart and a willingness to believe. A willingness that, for instance, the disciple, the, the apostle Thomas did not show until there was some kind of physical proof. And Jesus at that point says, blessed are you who have, who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you who have not known the intricacies of the scriptures and yet have believed in them. Blessed are you who do not know the intricacies of dogma, but have believed in the magisterium and the teaching of the church. For he has hiding these things from the learned and the clever. They get in their own way sometimes. When learning becomes a channel to faith, it has great value. When it becomes a substitute for faith, it has little to no value at all. And so who does he reveal them to if he doesn't reveal them to the learned and the clever? He reveals them to the merest of children. And we know that Jesus uses the term children to not refer only to little short people, little tiny people, um, but to those who have the simplicity of soul to be able to trust and to love another without guile and without condition. That the absolute kind of trust that a child has uh, in their parent is the thing that the Lord is talking about in relationship to him that uh, children can, can do all sorts of things. They can be very loving toward their parent. They can be horrible to their parent. But they can only be horrible because they know that in the long run, nothing's going to happen to them for doing that. They might get punished temporarily, but, but they don't feel somehow or other that, that they are abandoned in the universe. So basically, when Jesus says he's revealed it to the merest of children, he revealed it to those who are capable of receiving, accepting love and trust in another human being, in another person. And, uh, and that is the foundation of faith, not great learning, not great erudition. Yes, Father, he said, for that is what it pleased you to do. Everything has been entrusted to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And just as no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We, we go back to um, the Council of Orange in the 6th century, where it says that, you know, we do not believe on our own initiative. We believe because God has given us the gift of faith. 
and the term is that we have been given the initium fidei, the initiation to believe, and this is a free gift of God. It does not talk about the distrib universal distribution or the inequitable distribution in any kind of theological debate. It just says our faith comes from God, and that, and basically, it comes through the Son, by the Son, through the Father. For everyone who has been trusted in me, my Father knows, and no one knows me, knows the Son except the Father. In other words, no one really knows who Jesus Christ is except the Father, and just as no one knows the Father except the Son. You know, this has an obvious surface meaning that uh, anyone who, you know, believes that somehow or other they know God without knowing Jesus Christ it is, at least according to Scripture, not really possible. However, that knowledge of Jesus Christ is, whether it's obscure or whether it's direct or whether it's simply intuitive, whatever it is, if it isn't there, there is no God for us, and at least not the real God. There are all sorts of pretend gods or make-believe gods but the only one that is real is the one that we encounter through Jesus Christ, however and however circuitously we may come to that point. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so basically then we talk about the decree from the Council of Orange affirming this in the Church's tradition that uh, the gift of faith comes from God. It is not something we conjure up ourselves. There is, a, there is a tendency sometimes in faith to think that, you know, we can use prayer on, and virtue to manipulate the Lord. And that has, that really is nothing. It, it just really does nothing. We surrender to the Lord, and we surrender to Him in trust and confidence, not because we're trying to conjure up a knowledge of the future, not because we're trying to coerce the Lord to do what we want Him to do, not because we in any way, shape, or form are the ones who are able to define the Lord. We are recipients of faith, and that faith then becomes an active part of who we are to where we become then the emissaries of the Lord and not the emissaries of our own holiness or the emissaries of our own wisdom or the emissaries of our own knowledge. And whether that is the personal experiential knowledge or whether that is the knowledge of great learning, that in any case, it is not of us, it is of the Lord himself. And that openness to the Lord in the simplicity of a child's trust of its parent is what the gospel is saying. It is in that then that we authentically come to know the living God. And this doesn't mean either, you know, that say, well, you know, children don't know very much because, you know, they've only gone through first grade or second grade or whatever that it's all right for us not to know anything about the faith. That's false. Because how can you love someone if you don't know who they are, if you only know who they are subjectively to you and do not know who they are objectively in themselves? And the, the, the whole formula for a catastrophic relationship is to simply extract from the person what you particularly pleases you or what you want and ignore the totality of who that person truly is. 
That's really something very, very, very strange. And I, I think that it's, uh, that it's incredibly important for us to come to know and to understand that the Lord comes to us as a person, not as simply a reflection of our inner needs, wants, and desires, not simply as a reflection of our perfected self, but as, in fact, who he is. He is other. He has an identity of his own. And the whole purpose of learning about the faith through Scripture and through the teaching of the Church and so forth is because it constructs for us the identity of the person of Jesus whom we are called to love and to trust. It is in this, then, that the learning plays a role not to control others and not to control God and not to be in charge of the whole proclamation of the Gospel because only I am wise enough to know it. No. We learn for, because it enhances for us the identity of Jesus Christ and that when we come to know him, we come to know him as a person so that our relationship with him might be interpersonal and not simply a projection of the self, which happens all too often, and certainly which was a problem with the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. So then once Jesus has, has cleared this up, once he has said, it's not the learning of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that I call you into relationship with me. No, it is because you have a heart that is open to friendship, a heart that is open to love, a heart that is open to trust. And so in this love and in this trust, I reveal to you the truth of who I am. And if I reveal myself the truth of who I am to you myself, then I also reveal to you the identity of the Father, for the Father and I are one. And no one knows the Father except through me, and no one knows me except through the Father. And then he says, then, then, comes, then comes the evangelical part of the statement that after he has told us the proper balance and the proper disposition that we have, after he has told us all of that, and then he says, now, once you grasp the dynamic, then come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. That if once, in fact, we have this proper relationship with the Lord, once we have this orderly relationship with the Lord, once this is part of our life, then you will find that even in your labors and in your burdens, that even then there will be rest, there will be confidence, and there will be hope. And so what the Lord is now doing is extending himself to us, is inviting us now to come into this relationship with him, with the one whom he has identified to ourselves as coming from the Father and with the Father. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. In other words, in any, think of any human relationship that you have that does not in some way, shape, or form involve difficulty. That there is no relationship so totally harmonious that there is never a moment of sacrifice, a moment of, of self-denial, a moment of self-giving. And even though at times, you know, it might seem to be very difficult or not, or not really fair, that for the sake of the relationship it is necessary. That is a yoke and that is a burden.
Christianity can be a ferocious burden. It truly can. It can be an absolutely ferocious burden. Think of the lives of the martyrs and think of those who are persecuted for the faith. Think even in, in our own day and age, those who, who are arrested even by our own government or, in, or uh, for witnessing to the faith, for witnessing the depth of what they believe in. It can be labor, laborious, and it can be a great burden to us. And yet at the same time, he said, I will give you rest. For the true rest and the true peace and the true joy is something that exists inside of ourselves. That's where it exists. That's where it is. In the dynamic of love and trust with the Son of God, then the peace is in the soul itself, and it is not necessarily in the environment in which we live. So then he says, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find inner rest and inner peace, the kind of horrible turmoil of the world that goes on around us and the increasing hostility toward Christianity in this society, in all of Western society, is going to take its toll on the Christian eventually. It truly is. Perhaps at this time, you know, we think maybe we can go along and get along. Um, ultimately, that will be a disappointment. Ultimately, that won't happen because the more you go along to get along, the more radical um, the opposition becomes and the more reasons they find to reject you and to be indifferent to your needs or your wants. They would seduce you away from the love of God and the love and, and orient you to the love of their ideology, of their ideas, of their, of their idols. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is nothing too difficult to bear in love that does not somehow or other increase the peace, the depth, and, and the joy of the human spirit. I think that this is one of the reasons why, of course, we celebrate the martyrs, not that we are all called to martyrdom. Um, obviously, we're not. There's too many of us still around. But we hold them up as an example because what's as interesting is that they, we see in the martyrs b before their death a certain amount of peace and joy. We find it in the journey of St. Ignatius from Antioch to Rome as you know, he is tormented along the way and as he's going to be thrown to the beasts, as he says. And yet there is a peace and a care for others inside of him which is incredibly impressive. We find it also I, um, in, in there is there is a book called To Quell the Terror, is about the sixteen Carmelite martyrs of the French Revolution, and how they went to the guillotine, you know, singing um, the Salve Regina and calmly asking the priors for permission to offer their lives for the sake of the peace of the, in, in the hearts of their people that there is, in this sense then, a certain joy and a certain peacefulness in the difficulties. Martyrdom is the extreme difficulty, of course, but in the difficulties that we encounter and the difficulties that we face in living out the faith. For he can say to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we said, yeah, your yoke is easy, your burden is light. What about, you know, when we're imprisoned? What about when... Uh, 
when we're punished? What about like um, in the English Reformation when they tried to uh, to tax Catholicism into into penury and into non-existence? The same thing happened with the Health and Human Services uh, fiasco under uh, Kathleen Sebelius uh, several years ago. Um, somehow or other was to tax those who resisted um, the moral or immoral innovations of the government itself. All of these things, what about all of that? Is that not in some way, shape, or form a burden? Is that not some way, shape, or form a yoke of faith that we are rejected, that we are pursued, that we are ridiculed, that we are punished in some way, shape, or form by the secular governments in which we live? Certainly, that persecution is worse in China. It's worse in the Middle East. It's worse in the... In the uh, and uh, areas of of, uh, of West Africa, um, yes, it, it can be very aggressive and very active, but can be more subtle, more insidious, and more dehumanizing. Is there's all sorts of ways that it can, but if in our hearts we have trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, if deep in our hearts we accept Him as the one who is our salvation if we understand that our lives were created even after the trials of this world to find eternal happiness in union with him and the Father and the Spirit, if we do all that, then somehow or other, what we find is that there is deep inside of us a real sense of purpose, a real sense of meaning, a real sense of destiny, a real hope and a real trust and confidence. And I think that this is something that, that is, is fragile as well because we, we can create these kind of utopian senses of heaven and yet they, be, they, they seem like, like make-believe actually. Heaven is relational. Heaven is being in a deep and interpersonal loving relationship with God to such an extent that we could say with St. Paul, we know neither whether, whether it is, is me or whether it is Christ within me. The union is so great. And what is greater than a total union and love between two persons? What has a greater sense of well-being? What has a greater sense of happiness? What has a greater sense of fulfillment? And this is what we talk about. I know lately, unfortunately, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, has said, you know, well, he no longer believes in heaven. And, well, you know, if heaven is a utopian ice cream social, well, the good thing he doesn't. But, uh, but if we look at it for what it truly is, this, this, kind of, uh, this kind of intimate union with God, then how tragic it would be to believe such a thing would never happen, to believe that kind of fulfillment, completion, and totality of our lives would elude us and would never come to be. So when we look at this gospel, what we find is Jesus, now he has sent the 12 on their mission to Israel, and he says to them, now remember that it's not, you know, your learning, your wisdom, and so forth that's going to, that's going to bring the gospel. What's going to bring the gospel is your care for other people in order that it might reflect my presence among them. And in reflecting my presence, introduce them to me as a person who I will then unite to myself and to my Father if they are open and trusting toward me. So don't be discouraged by the opposition of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
talk to the people themselves, the ordinary people, the ones who know how to love, the ones who know how to trust, the ones who in the course of their daily lives, with all of the vagaries of our daily life, have some kind of a deep faith and trust in each other because it is that which will enable them to have a deep trust of me. And remember that it's not your wisdom and it's not how clever you are that's going to draw them to me, that actually um, introducing them to me, I'll take, I will introduce them to the Father. I will show them the meaning of God deep in their lives. I will do all that for them. You are to bring them into my friendship. And so then he says, now, he says, now, now ev come to me, all you who are labor and are burdened. I'll give you rest. For you shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Come to me and there will be an interior peace in your life. And in that interior peace in your life, you will find, therefore, the meaning of your own life, the purpose of your own life. And you will begin then to have a desire for and an anticipation of the fulfillment of that life, of the fulfillment of the purpose of that life. It will not be a make-believe world. It will not be, you know, a serendipitous experience. It will be the fulfillment of all the desires and all of the needs and all the potentialities of your soul, of your inner self, of your personhood. And then when you do that, you will come to understand that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing will be able to oppress us so radically when we have that interior freedom which only love and trust and hope can bring. This then is what Jesus is doing when he sends his apostles into the vineyard. This is what he is saying, take me with you, not yourselves, take me with you and I will gather the people and when they learn to trust me and when they learn to love me and when they learn to hope in me, there will be an inner peace in them where the troubles of this world will not defeat them, will not crush them, but will in fact simply be part of the passageway into the fulfillment of themselves as human persons in unity and in conformity with the source of their very being, with the Creator God, in the love of the one who saves them and the love of the one who brings them into a deeper love and a deeper knowledge and wisdom within their hearts of the presence and the power and the person of Christ. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.